Luke chapter 19. Today we're going to be looking at God's economy. We're going to be looking at a return on investment. So here's, here's what a return on investment is. It's when you put forward for us, let's say a thousand bucks. You put forward a thousand bucks as an investment and then you're expecting to see a profit from that investment. Y'all with me? That's not real complicated right now. Let me break the terms down differently. When I was a Yankee, notice I said was. I'm not one anymore. When I lived up in Massachusetts, I grew up in this little town. I grew up in just on the outskirts of Worcester, Massachusetts. Later on, I lived in Worcester. That's how you say it, Worcester. But I lived in this little town, Milbury, and I was in maybe fourth grade. And there was a kid who took those little Jolly Rancher lick sticks. Y'all remember those? Anybody? Yeah, the Jolly Rancher candies. Dentists love them, right? So this kid would go to the candy store every evening after school, and he would buy $5. This is how we started. He bought $5 worth of lick sticks. That's what they were called, the little Jolly Rancher lick sticks. Ten cents a piece is what they were. Sticks were ten cents a piece. He bought $5 worth. How many sticks did he have? 50. He sold those for 25 cents a stick. Y'all, he more than doubled his profit, right? His return on investment was over 100%. That's what he did. And then he would take $5 from that every day and sell 50 lick sticks for 25 cents a piece. And at the end of the week, that kid was rolling in the dough. But James was his name. James figured out the recipe to make some money and get some return on his $5 investment. That boy made bunches of money every single day at the school. And what did the school do, do you think? The school, they couldn't shut him down because they couldn't figure out how he was doing it. So you know what the school did? They opened their own candy store at recess, and they undercut him, which is crazy because that's like the small guy getting shut down by the corporation. I was pulling for him. I'm like, come on, James, man. Anyway, in God's economy, something similar takes place where God makes an investment and then there is a return that is to be made. So in Luke chapter 19, Luke chapter 19, we see this principle of return on investment. And we're going we're gonna to get into that. So 19 verse 11. Let me set up the stage here. Jesus and his apostles they're going into Jerusalem for the last time, and it's getting, it's getting heavy around them. And this story is very similar to one that you'll see in Matthew 25, but it's not exactly the same. So that lets us know there were two different versions of this story parable that Jesus told. So um, the folks, well, we'll just get into it from here. Now, as they heard these things, they spoke another, he spoke another parable because he was near Jerusalem and because they thought the kingdom of God would appear immediately. Therefore, he said, 
A certain nobleman went into a far country to receive for himself a kingdom and to return. So he called ten of his servants, delivered to them ten minas, and said to them, Do business till I come. But his citizens hated him and sent a delegation after him, saying, We will not have this man to reign over us. And so it was that when he returned, having received the kingdom, he then commanded these servants to whom he had given the money to, to be called to him, that he may know how much every man had gained by trading. Then came the first, saying, Master, Yamina has earned ten minas. And he said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. Because you were faithful in very little, I have authority, or you have authority over ten cities. And the second came, saying, Master, your mina has earned five minas. And likewise, he said to him, You also be over five cities. Then another came to him, saying, Master, here is your mina, which I have kept put away in a handkerchief. For I feared you, because you are an austere man. You collect what you did not deposit and reap what you did not sow. And he said to him, Out of your own mouth I will judge you, you wicked servant. You knew that I was an austere man, collecting what I did not deposit and reaping what I did not sow. Why then did you not put my money in the bank, that at my coming I might have collected it with interest? And he said to those who stood by, Take the mina from him. And give it to him who has ten minas. But they said to him, Master, he has ten minas. For I say to you that everyone who has will be given. And from him who does not have, even what he has will be taken from him. But bring here those enemies of mine who did not want me to reign over them and slay them before me. Let's pray. Lord. May we reap meaning and value from your word this morning. May may it bear a harvest within our soul and our spirit. And Lord, may we be obedient to you as we look into your word. May we worship you in truth and spirit. We ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. So... Jesus tells this story because he is nearing Jerusalem. They're on their way back in. And everybody's thinking that the kingdom is going to come right now. Y'all know what happens after this? They come in on their triumphant entry. Jesus comes into the city. It's Palm Sunday, basically. And everybody's laying down their cloaks in the street. And they're saying, Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest. And they're proclaiming him as, hey, this is the chosen one, the Messiah that is to come. He's fulfilling prophecy. He's fulfilling the scriptures. This is going to be the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. They're excited about that. Jesus gives them this story. He gives them this story, and it's not just his close 12, but it's other folks who have been following them. And I want to give you a little context now on the story that he actually tells. Back in Matthew chapter 4, verse 22, you don't have to go there right now, there is a king mentioned, the son of Herod. Remember King Herod, the one in the Christmas story that had all the little kids put to death that were under the age of two? Right? Okay, that Herod dies. His son, Archelaus, 
comes into power as the ruler. Now, Archelaus was a bad dude just like his father. His father actually killed one of Archelaus' half-brothers. King Herod, his dad, had multiple wives, so there were multiple sons, so there's multiple half-brothers, and there were multiple deaths because there were certain sons he did not want to get the throne after. Archelaus was still there. He was kind of the chosen one of his daddy. And Archelaus, at a very young age, was sent off to Rome. Kings would do this. They would take their kids, send them to Rome to be educated in the more sophisticated ways. And he was in Rome until about the year before his dad was going to die. Right, old bad old King Herod the Great. Before he died, Archelaus came home right around the age of 18, they think. So he shows up, he's at the house, and his father had written another child, one of his other sons, to be the king at one point in the will. But now Archelaus was there, and the will changed, and Archelaus was to be in charge. Y'all following this? Y'all like, I don't do history this early in the morning on the weekend. So now, you you see the situation setting up. Archelaus was put into power. The people accepted him as king when Herod died. And the, uh, the rest of the family kind of went along with it. So the people went, accepted him as king. The family accepted him as king. And now Archelaus was in charge. Well, there were some political disturbances and some problems. And the Jewish folks, the commoners, wanted things to change. Archelaus didn't like this. And one day at the temple, this religious faction of folks who were in charge of the political uprising at the time, they're meeting in the outer courts of the temple. Thousands of people were there. Archelaus told them to go home. You know? I think of it as kind of like a January 6th type of event, right? Archelaus tells them, y'all go home. Leave. And they don't. You know what happens? Archelaus picks up his cell phone. (laughs) He didn't have a cell phone. Picks up the red phone at the time. And he says, go in there and make them leave by whatever means necessary. The army shows up, right? The Jewish army shows up under Archelaus and they kill close to 3,000 people that day in the temple. In the temple, in like the walls of the temple. This was a big thing. Well, Archelaus, even though the people accepted him as king and the army accepted him as king, Rome still did not see him as the rightful king. So you know what he had to do after this takes place? He has to go to Rome and get Caesar Augustus, like the big head honcho of the Roman Empire at the time, He has to get the approval of him to be called king of Israel. So he takes a delegation and he goes away to the blessing of the king or the emperor of the Roman Empire. Because the Roman Empire ruled the world at that time. And he goes, and you know what the Roman emperor says? You're on probation. Because there's been such uprisings in that territory 
that it's wrong. And you know what happened? Pharisees, the Jewish religious folks, went behind Archelaus and they complained to the emperor and said, we hate him, we do not want him to rule over us, please stick your own Roman government in to control us instead of him. Wicked. Y'all ever heard of Pontius Pilate? He was there because of the decision made by those folks. How many of y'all are totally nerded out and zoned out right now? Like, few of you. Okay, good. Good history lesson. Thanks for being honest. Still telling the truth about kicking your butt in flag football, though. Okay. So, these guys, the Roman emperor says, okay, we're going to install our own people there. Herod goes back, or Herod Archelaus, can't say his name, he goes back to Jerusalem, and he's in power for a very little time before he is removed and sent to, like, south of France. All right, there's the history lesson. So when Jesus is talking about a king that is leaving and coming back for his kingdom, this is what they have in mind. This took place 20 years earlier in their life in Jerusalem. So this is like local political stuff for them. This isn't like, oh, this happened in a foreign country a long time ago. This is real stuff that happened in their own backyard. The chances are they probably knew folks who died in the temple 20 years ago when all that place. So Jesus is telling this parable, and it's very close to home. He's going to strike some nerves. And for him to compare himself to wicked Archelaus in his to Archelaus is mind-boggling, and it creates this whole new layer of, what were you doing, Jesus? So let's look at this return on investment and what we see here in the principles that Jesus is going to show us. Now, the first thing we're going to establish is that Jesus was the owner. Whenever you have return on investment, there's always an owner. And there's ownership. Now, every week, my shoe's coming untied. So what did Jesus own? What was Jesus the owner of in this, in this parable? The kingdom, right? He was going out. He was going to come back and receive the kingdom. Because Jesus, in this case, is that certain nobleman, that guy who is going out to establish that kingdom. So he is the owner. He is looking to get a return on his investment. What does he give away? He gives away these things called minas. Now, what is a mina? It is about a three-month salary. So he's taking these salaries, and he's giving them this large chunk of money, and he's investing them into individuals that are his what? What were they referenced as? His servants. So this guy who is going to come back as a king is leaving what he has right now 
with his servants. Now that word servant, you ready for this? Is like a bond servant. It's like an indentured servant. Some places you'll see it might even in your Bible say a slave. These are folks who worked for this guy. He's going to give you each a three-month salary. And what were they commanded to do? What was this owner commanding the folks to do? Do something with it, right? Make a return on it. I want a return on my investment. Y'all with me? Some of y'all are like, ah, I'm trying to be. So that's Jesus as the king, as the owner of what is being invested. What does Jesus give to you as someone who is receiving his investment? What's he entrust to you? His spirit, right. So for anybody who calls themselves a believer in God, a born-again believer, they have his spirit within them, within you. If you think you are going to heaven, the only way you get there is because his spirit is within you. If you think any other reason is going to get you to heaven, you are lying to yourself, and that is not biblical. I don't care what preacher told you that before. Doing any other thing does not get you to heaven other than Christ in you. That's what gets you there, all right? So Jesus is saying, my servant, I'm going to entrust something to you. That's the first thing he does. He entrusts. His spirit to you. So the first thing that the owner does for his investment, he puts his trust in you. How many of you have the trust of your employer or had the trust of your employer? Anybody? How many people are allowed to make decisions at work? Anybody? About six of you. The rest of you all liars. <laughs> How many students in here have been entrusted by their parents or their teachers to do something for them. I used to love being that kid that got to take the note to the office. You remember that? Anybody else love that? Yeah, yeah, oh, Gabby's like, I love that. Because I felt like, man, I get to walk around in the hallway and that note that you had to the principal was the pass that you needed. Right? As long as you had that note, you could go anywhere. How many of y'all went to the bathroom that did that? And you were like, you know what? I'm going to stop at the water fountain. Or as we call it up north, the bubbler. I'm going to stop at the bubbler. And then I'm going to go to the bathroom. And then I'm going to go to the office. And then on your way back, you don't ever do it in reverse order because then if you're in the bathroom or at the water fountain without the pass, then you could get in trouble. So you always go on the way there. And that was always so much fun because you were entrusted with something from the person in charge. And now the person in charge in this situation is the king. It's Jesus. And he's saying, you have my spirit in you. I am trusting you with the Holy Spirit and the task to do the job. What was the job? To increase, to multiply, to take one mina, one chunk of money, and turn it into multiple. Now, am I talking about literal money right now? No, because my name ain't Benny Hinn, all right? 
I'm talking about the spiritual wealth that he deposits and entrusts into you. He deposited and trusted his spirit into you. Mm. So you got to multiply it for him upon his return. That's some crazy stuff. So now, there's that trust, that task, that responsibility that has been given to them. And then the next thing that he shows, or that these people show, is a faithfulness, a perseverance in a faithfulness. So these people are faithful, and they persevere in spite of what is about to unfold on them. They want to bring a return on the investment that the king put into them. Do you want to bring a return for the one who died on a cross for you? For the one who gave his only begotten son so that you wouldn't have to perish, so that you could have eternal life? Do you want to bring a return for him? I hope so. Not because you have to, but out of love for him. Because there is an expectation that you will. These folks couldn't have had an easy time because everyone around there hated the master. Remember, he's leaving, he's going away, he's going to come back. He said, do this while I'm gone. And then the people didn't like him. But these ten servants, they had to be faithful. Now, one of them we saw just kept it. He was like, I'm just going to wrap it up in a hanky put it in my drawer somewhere, put it in my sock drawer, and forget about it. That one wasn't commended, though, in the end. These guys persevered. We don't know how long the king was gone. He was gone for a piece of time. But they persevered in the cause. Was it always easy for them to get up and to work for someone else without any return for themselves, maybe? We don't know. Was it always easy street? Did they face persecution? Did they face ugly looks from people? Probably. Because nobody liked their boss. Yet they still persevered and were faithful to the cause that the king wanted accomplished. The next thing we know is that they were resourceful. They had a resourcefulness about them. How much did they start with? One, mina. One of them, when, they, when he returns, when the king comes back as the king, he returns and one of them has ten. What's your return on investment there? A thousand times over, right? Is that right? Or is that a hundred times over? Anyway, I'm not worried about the math right now. He comes back and his return on investment is huge. He was faithful. He was perseverant. He made one into ten. Well done, good and faithful slave, my servant. That a boy, baby. Woo! Gives him the pat on the back. And he says, because of your faithfulness, and you this one into ten, I'm putting you over ten cities. Think of this. This is the new kingdom. You got ten cities. 
that serpent has got to be like, wow, here I was, a slave, working for the master, and now I'm going to be over ten cities. I'm going to have my own servants, my own people helping me out, getting the job done. He says to the one that had five, same thing pretty much. You're over five cities because of your faithfulness. If you'll be faithful with a little bit, just a pinch, you'll be faithful with much. And that's the principle that comes out of here. They are resourceful with the little bit that they have. You know what I hear a lot of times from people in general? It wouldn't be any of y'all because none of y'all would say it. I'm not biblically smart enough to be used by God. I'm not, I don't have enough clout and enough friends and I'm not a good enough speaker to be used by God. I don't have enough this or enough that or I'm too this or I'm too that to be used by God. And you fill in whatever blanks you want to. How many people in here are shy? Don't raise your hand. Because you won't anyway, because you're too shy. I can't do that for God because I'm too shy. You know what I want to tell those people? Shut up. Some people say, I can't do this because I don't know enough Bible. I'm not smart enough when it comes to God and Jesus and His kingdom and the Word. And I'll say, do you own a Bible? And do you have, mm, let's just say, an hour a day to read it? I mean, we come up with some of the most bizarre excuses, don't we? Let me hit travel ball for a second, though. We'll drive all over. This was for you, Micah. You told me to hit this one last. No, no, Matt did. Matt did. Sorry. We'll drive all over creation to watch our kid pitch for a half an inning against a team that's going to rock his world. Well, his curveball just wasn't working that day, so, you know, we go develop a slider. I mean, that's what we do. We will go from one side of Louisiana to the other side of Louisiana for a football game. Or if your kid goes to Briarfield, you end up in Arkansas and Mississippi and I think Idaho is about one of the places we went to. I mean, it's nuts. And what do we, we, we get hotel rooms and we do this and we spend hours on YouTube and we say, oh, you got to work on this. Your delivery's wrong. You're not bringing it with the, you know, you don't have the hips, right? We will research it and study it and all that kind of stuff. Can you be a servant for God? I just, I just don't have the time. Shut up. Shut up. And then for other folks, it's because you're too stubborn. And you don't have the want to. Why? Oh, because, you know, uh, it's not my job or it's not this or it's not... If people can die and go to hell, that ought to be enough motivation for everybody in this room if you really believe it. 
If you really believed that there is a hell that people will face on judgment day, and, and you're like, yeah, I really believe that, and I'm glad Jesus saved me from hell, but <laughs> I just don't think it's my place to tell anyone else because they have their opinions and I have mine. Do you really believe it then? I mean, I'm just throwing that out there. Because if I'm going down the street and I see your house and it is blazing up in the roof and you're downstairs and you're sitting there drinking your sweet tea on the front porch, I'm going to yell, hey, your house is on fire. And you're going to be like, no, it's not. And I'm going to be like, no, come here, look at the smoke, look at the roof. No, it's not. What do I need to do if I don't want that house to collapse on you and kill you? I'm going to drag you off of your porch. I'm going to pull you into the front yard and go, see? We can't do that, though. Why? We're not blank enough. And accountable is the last thing I want to talk about. These servants had a sense of accountability. Because they were like, the master's gone. He's going to demand an answer when he gets back. And we know how he is. We know that he is high, that he is mighty, that he is going to be king when he gets back. And we're going to do what he said. Not just because we fear him, but because he trusted us. But because he's always been good to us. Because we know him. And there may be a whole lot of other people out there that don't love him, that don't know him, that are afraid to death of him, that are scared to death of him. But we know his nature. And we know his character. And we love him. And he's going to hold us accountable. And we don't want to displease him because of that love for him. You know what happens? He returns as king. And he says, okay, now, what did you do? One day, on judgment day, we're all going to be standing before a righteous and a holy king. You're going to be standing before God the Father at the white throne judgment if you're not in Christ. And he's going to demand an answer from you on what you did with this life. And you're going to be like, bah, 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 bah. I don't know, I don't know what to do. And you're going to be stammering and stuttering. You're going to be sounding like Moses before Pharaoh, right? And you're going to be like, I don't know. And he's going to say, depart from me. I never knew you. Or you're going to be before Jesus at the judgment seat. And he's going to say, okay, I'm going to judge you according to 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians. And all your works are going to be laid bare in front of him. And he's going to test them all by fire. And they're going to burn up like wood, hay, straw, or stubble. Or they're going to be like precious jewels and gold and silver. And he's going to judge you. And it said, you will be saved even though it will be through the fire. That's 1 Corinthians chapter 3. And you're going to be standing there and he's going to say, I am holding you accountable for what I entrusted you with. What did you do with it? What did you do with it? Two guys, phenomenal. There's seven guys we never hear from. We don't know if they get a one to, like a 1.1 return. I got 1.1 minus for you. But then there's one guy that's like, no, I just took it and psh, hit it in the piano. Waiting on your return. 
Don't be that guy. Don't be the guy, don't be the gal that said, I took what you gave to me. I took the time that you gave me on this planet. I took the relationships that you put around me on this planet. I took the, the, the talents and the abilities that you blessed me with. I took the money and the resources like that that you blessed me with. And I did nothing with them. I stuck them in a sock drawer, I hid them in the basement, and I said, well, it'll be here when he gets back, I'll just give them to him. Don't be that guy. Don't be that gal. It's a blessing that he's entrusted you with his very spirit. And if the Spirit is in you, it's the same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead according to the book of Romans, chapter 8. He says, the same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is the same Spirit that is alive in you. Think about that. Does that make you afraid? Does that make you persevere? You bet it does. Does that make you faithful? Yeah. Even in 2 Timothy it says, even if you are faithless, He remains faithful. He can never deny or forsake Himself. And if His Spirit is in you, His Spirit is always in you. And the two of you have been fused together as one. So, His return on interest... Is it in you? Are you using it to further His purposes and His causes? Because if you're a believer, that Jesus, who knew no sin, became your sin on that cross and took the wrath of God because of that sin, your sin... And he was dead and buried and raised from the grave. If you believe that, then Christ is in you. And he's going to hold you accountable one day. You're going to have that conversation. And it doesn't have to be a scary conversation. I'm not trying to paint this as a scary thing. I'm trying to paint this as a, I love him so much. I want to get it done type of thing. If you don't love them like that, but you know that Christ is in you, you seriously need to nurture that relationship. And I pray that you will. Or Maybe this morning you have no idea where you stand with this master and this servant, and you're afraid of his coming because you're like, I'm going to be that guy that hid it. And what happened to the guy that hid the mina in the hanky? It wasn't pretty. They went to work on that dude with hacksaws and machetes. It was rough. Don't be that guy. Even though he was a servant, even though he was numbered with that ten. And the Bible teaches us that there will be many who will call his name and say to Jesus, Lord, Lord, didn't I do this for you and didn't I do that for you? But he looks at you and he says, yeah. But I never knew you. Depart from me. Talk is cheap. The return on investment that he's looking for 
is that kingdom mindset. When he gets back, are you a team player? Or are you sitting there saying, yeah, here you go, coach. Here's the ball. Here's the drills you left me to do. I didn't do any of it. Why? Because I just didn't want to. Where's your heart?